Hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I'm your host, Michael Mamas, and we're coming to you from Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshwara Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Uh, I thought what we'd do today is um, just be sure that we have the context uh, right. You know, context is everything. And uh, I think a lot of times we, there's, you know, spiritual knowledge is so deep and so vast. It's the knowledge of the whole universe. It's certainly every branch of knowledge, music, physics, religion, economics, it's all those things really are subsets of the greater whole. And that greater whole is what, you know, spiritual knowledge really is. That's the context. If we understand uh the word spiritual, certainly in the way I'm using it now. Uh, uh, so we're going to get into that. And, and uh, you know, I've known people that have studied, you know, deep scholars even really uh, in, in some regard is dedicated their whole life to understanding different aspects of spirituality or whatever, uh, maybe whatever religion, Hinduism, uh uh, Christianity, you name it. Um, but it's easy somehow to uh, get so caught up in the details in the in the trees, you know, that you lo- lose a real sense of the forest. And people can say, "Oh no, I get the forest. That's God, or that's the unified field, or whatever." But uh, but that's um, uh not necessarily, you know, how they function, okay? So anyway, we'll get into all of that. But before we do, I thought I'd uh, start with a few, like I commonly do with a few uh, opening tidbits, you know, from, from this week. Uh, you know, you'll hear on the news a lot that, you know, they'll talk about, oh, you know, the politicians are deceiving us and, you know, they think the people are stupid, but the people are smart. I think, you know, in, in a sense, that's tr- certainly true. And uh, I've talked about how the grassroots, you know, deep inside it, people all over the world, they want the same thing and they have good values. You know, they want to take care of their family and and uh, uh, just live healthy, good lives, you know. Um, but one thing that history has shown us at the same time that the, the people have wisdom and they have good values and and uh, uh, are smart in that regard. But um, one thing that history has shown us is that they also tend to be gullible, you know. Uh, It's incredible how people can be led off to war, be it, you know, the Russian Revolution. Uh, I mean, there's just so many examples. And uh, uh, they're convinced of things that just um, really aren't the way things really are. so there's a certain degree of you know gullibility in that regard. So it's something to think about, you know. Um, but you know, with the advent of the internet, and uh, uh, I just canceled uh, Directv. I believe I said that in the last podcast, and I did it, you know, before anything was in the news about it. I just noticed. And I don't really watch these stations that much, but I, I noticed when they canceled uh, One America News, I was like, 
you know, I hope what they're saying that it's just a contract dispute is true. Uh, but then uh, a while later, then they canceled uh, Newsmax. Again, a station I don't really watch. I watch a lot of stations and I surf between them. And I've, but I'm not a big, you know, advocate of one or the other. But uh, when I saw that, I mean, I was appalled. You know, to me, that was sort of a fascist state um, uh, behavior. And so I just, I couldn't stomach it anymore. And I just had to cancel direct TV. Uh, and it's interesting. Well, the, after that, then I found out that all these people are canceling. And I guess uh, AT&T that owns 75%, I think it is, of uh, direct TV has lost something like $10 billion since, the, since uh, Newsmax was canceled. And... Uh, uh, so it became a real uh, popular thing to do, you know. Uh, and I think the, the, there's a lesson there that, you know, with with Internet and um, all these different stations. I mean, I canceled DirecTV, so I switched to um, YouTube TV. And then with that, there are all these different apps. And I mean, there's so much out there and so much information you can get from so many different angles that um, I don't think the government or the media has really figured out how to catch up with the whole thing. Uh, you know, they felt like, you know, back when there were just a few broadcast stations, they could say whatever. And the media went along with whatever the government said and, and uh, they could get away with anything. Uh, but that's not the way it is anymore. And uh, uh, they're having a hard time adjusting. Uh, but they're, they're going to. Now with the FBI and all the whistleblowers and the FBI, so many FBI agents have quit the FBI now and are testifying as whistleblowers to what, what happened politically with the FBI and how corrupt it became. All that's going to come out. And it's going to make for a better world, you know. Uh, the people aren't going to be as easily manipulated as they as they have been in the past, and that's where it's leading, and where it's really going to uh, meet that its fruition in that regard is when the governments and the media finally realize they can't get away with it anymore. So that's a good thing. It's a and it's part of the phase transition, I think. Uh, good things are coming. Uh, well, I saw a quote, Isaac Asimov said, uh, never let your sense of morals get in the way of doing what's right. And my interpretation that I got a kick out of it, you know, because we have our own inner sense of what's right and what's wrong, what's moral, you see. But then we also have this uh, narrative that's floated about what's right. And that changes from decade to decade, you know, uh, more frequently than that even. Uh, and so there's that conflict between our own inner sense and then the notion of right and wrong on the surface. I mean, my God, the notion of right and wrong does vary. They used to um, uh, burn witches at the stake, for goodness sake. Uh, and who knows how they'll look back, I, though I think we can guess at a lot of the things that are going on now in the, in the name of what's right. Crazy, you know. Um, there's another issue I, I wanted to bring up because uh, 
it's regarding the Constitution of the United States, and they talk about you know life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and how that's just self-evident. It's just the way things have to be, Declaration of Independence, all that. And then there's also this notion of uh, states' rights uh, and the idea that you know so many people make up such a significant percentage of the population and in New York, San Francisco, and L.A., that if the states don't have any individual rights, you're going to have New York, San Francisco, and L.A. running the lives of all the people throughout the country. So uh, in the Constitution, they were very clear about if a, if a right isn't defined as being the right for the federal government, then it's a state's right. And uh, I like that. I, I'm, I'm a firm advocate in states' rights. I think it's very important. Otherwise, again, we're just going to have a few little areas in the nation uh, um, running all the flyover states, you know, and that's not right. Uh, but now we get into this thing like um, states' rights and where that really became significant was uh, in the Civil War. Because, you know, in the South, they considered states' rights. Okay, there were a lot of slave states there, and that was a state's right. Well, that was preempted, you see, uh, precluded by the uh, uh, very fundamental principle of in America, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It didn't say life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness for uh, everybody except slaves. All men are created equal, it said. And so if, if you look at the whole thing as a whole, you know, there is a balance between states' rights and uh, 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 the Constitution as a whole. Uh, and, and when you take those, all these things together, I think the Constitution is a beautiful thing. You know, a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, they allowed slavery in the beginning and gave blacks, what was it, four-fifths of a vote or whatever, eventually. Um, but... There we have to understand that's not this that was not the spirit of the thing at all. It was if you looked at the pragmatics of pragmatics of the time, that's the only way they could have gotten the thing through uh, um, established it as law. So it was a compromise with something that was very distasteful for really most people even back then. but uh, uh, and it was just a step in the direction of the eventual abolition of, of, of slavery. Uh, and now we get into this thing with uh, abortion and uh, the whole Roe versus Wade thing. Well, according to the Constitution, it wasn't the federal government's right because it wasn't, again, specified in the Constitution that the question of abortion was a was a question uh, uh, or a matter left up to the uh, federal government. So it was a state's right. And that's all that was being said in, in, in this uh, new uh, decision that uh, it should be left to the states just because it's constitutional that way. And, and people got the wrong idea that they were like um, abolishing uh, abortion. They were not. They were just saying it's not our right to decide. Uh, now that, that can be sound pretty horrific because if all of a sudden every single state in the nation 
decide it in the extreme uh, one way or the, the extreme the other way, it doesn't sit right. But nevertheless, um, uh, uh, it is the way it is. Government, federal government has become too big. Uh, education, that's not the right of the federal government. It's a state's right. And look what they've done. It, interestingly enough, in the inner cities of New York, San Francisco, L.A., they made a mess of education. I think it would have been better off if that stuff was left to the states. And there's so many things like that that the federal government is, has invaded that is not their right to do so. And I think the country, the people, our children, everybody will be better off when that um, uh, is honored, when the Constitution is more accurately honored in that regard. Okay. Incidentally, it's now being revealed that um, what we said on this podcast a long time ago is actually true. It was Netanyahu um, uh, from Israel. Uh, and he, I don't know a whole bunch about him, but my impression of him is that he was a really amazingly great, is a really great man. But uh, he made it evident that, um, and he brought out the fact that he knows that the United States could have ended that war before it even started, but that they didn't want to do it because they wanted to go after Putin. And so they used the war and they perpetuated the war as an excuse to go after Russia and Putin, which is despicable, you know? You know, they have, um, what was it? The population of um, Ukraine has gone down from 37 million to 22 million since the beginning of the war. That is horrific. They demolished an entire nation because they wanted to go after Putin. Oh my goodness. Uh, so I don't think we need to look too far. I mean, even, even like the pipeline that, you know, the Russian pipeline that got destroyed. Uh, and it does appear even based on things that uh, uh, Biden and other politicians have said that the United States did that. That's horrible. You know, that's like a, a act of war without the declaration of war, which requires an act of Congress anyway. I mean, all this craziness has got to stop, and I think it will. I think, you know, there was a time when when we could, when uh, the government could have gotten away with things that it's no longer going to be able to get away with, and that's a good thing. There's going to be more transparency, more honesty, more integrity. Um, there's that expression, you know, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. And... Uh, I think you could almost call this generation, this time, it's like the overthinking generation. They get so caught up in concepts of like even the thing with um, telling children that they can decide what sex they want to be and, and uh, doing sex change surgeries on children without parental consent. And I mean, that's all a result of just overthinking. People, they get so caught up in their head and so caught up in these rationales and these justification that they lose common sense. 
They lose touch with that one thing underlying all existence that's common to all of us. And that's called the unified field. It's called the uh, uh, underlying basis of existence. It's called the one thing that's the source of anything. The unified field of physics. Um, from a spiritual perspective, people would call that God. But, but whatever name you put on it, the idea is that there is one thing that's a source of infinite coherence, harmony, intelligence. And why do we say that? Well, you know, it's interesting that the ancient seers uh, uh, and modern saints like Swami Muktananda, who said this is all just a play of consciousness, even physicists, not all, but many uh, that study the unified field, say the more they study the unified field, the more they realize that what what they're uh, studying is just a field of pure consciousness. Consciousness equals isness. Consciousness is the thing that all this is made from. It's all birth out of a field of pure consciousness, Chaitanya in the Vedic. Uh, so consciousness, before this existence even was, the relative world, before relativity even was, there was pure isness, pure consciousness. And consciousness, by virtue of its nature, is conscious. What did it become conscious of? The only thing that existed itself, it became self-aware. Consciousness became conscious of itself. Duality was born. Consciousness became aware of those two things. A third thing was born, and it cascaded out into infinity. It created a structure, a field, you see? And that, and there was a perfection to it. It was all done with mirrors, you could say, mathematical perfection. And that's that structure, that underlying basis that's Chaitanya. That's the, the foundation of Veda. And, uh, uh, but what happens is that self-interacting dynamic gets so uh, 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 incredible, so um, uh, overwhelmingly exquisite and complex and profound that individuals lost, lose themselves to the dazzle, lose themselves to trees within that forest, you see? They, and, so it, and so they get so caught up in that, then it becomes perspective. And so then they lose um, um, the context, the greater context, to the point where, if you want to use the word God to describe that underlying basis, God just becomes a concept. Uh, and then through, um, see, it's called Maya, it's illusion. When you lose yourself to a limited perspective, then it self-perpetuates, and, and then in time it becomes distorted. That's why they call it relative. It's relative to the limited awareness with which something is viewed. Uh, uh, and so that that's... Um, where we're at in all fields of knowledge, our understanding of nature from a perspective of like physics, while well, we have a paradigm of basically it's Newtonian physics, and uh, we we view all existence only in that one regard. Whereas there are other um, contexts, other infinite number of different ways to frame, you see, the way we view existence. And we talked in the previous podcast about how uh, 
this world and humanity, civilization, has been going on way longer than we originally thought. We used to think it went back 3,000, 5,000 years. Now they're finding archaeological evidence that there were highly sophisticated civilizations 10,000 years ago. If you read the Vedic literature and accounts from all throughout the world, all different ancient civilizations, they talk about civilizations existed prior to this. And then there was... You know, like we talked about in the last podcast, a great flood or a uh, uh, earthquake or whatever that wiped out whole civilizations. And then it started again. So those civilizations and the knowledge and the way those civilizations frame things, that knowledge got lost. Uh, uh, and the potential of those things is, is vast. That's why we, we look at some of the ancient structures. We don't know how they built them. And just so ludicrous that we don't stop and think, well, maybe there was a, a civilization in the past that knew something that we don't know. You know, a popular perspective is, oh, no, the UFO people came down here and built them. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But, but the thing is, I mean, there were other there are other ways to frame things and other completely, totally different forms of knowledge that afford to us great technologies. That's why at Mount Soma, we, uh, we call it the Ancient Technology Research Institute because there are scholars out there and we know them. We have the designs from them. We work with them. They're very dedicated to what we're doing. And uh, they have the plans reviving ancient technologies to do incredible things. And the fundamental first thing that has to be done is to purify global consciousness. That's the way we talked about cleaning the fishbowl, you know, because once once the um, uh, uh, atmosphere, if you will, is cleared, then the, the, the minds become free to function in, in, in less limited ways, more unbounded ways. And then all these new technologies and stuff will become uh, highly accessible. But, but the, the uh, first one, the one that has to start with is to clear the, the cobwebs of percep perception, uh, clear the mind, you know? And so that's the step one, and that's what we're building here at Mount Soma. Incidentally, I plan on going to India soon. We're not sure when. It could be a year from now. It could be a few months. We don't know. But I, I, I want to get this whole thing going, and I think um, I've been contacted and told that we have an opening there to maybe get this thing launched uh, uh, through those contacts. So I might be going there to, to meet with them. I have a conference, in fact, with them on the phone here in a couple of days. At any rate, we'll see what happens with that. We're very hopeful. Um, and I think that that's about it for, for uh, this week. It's a very exciting time. Uh, I, I really want to encourage you that when you go into any field of knowledge, see how it connects back to the unified field, uh, whatever field it is, set theory in, in uh, mathematics, um, unified field theories in physics. See, in physics, that's one place where they, in, in modern physics, a lot, a lot of the concepts of like with Bell's theorem and uh, things are connected, there's no time lag between 
interaction of certain particles and things. Uh, those are echoes of a principle that exists within the absolute. And they, they read about them, they hear about them. They, and see, deep inside, we already know everything, so we sense them. But our interpretation of them is, is within the relative, but those kind of dynamics don't happen in the relative. They, they happen within the absolute, a place that's beyond space and time, you see? Uh, but all that is, you know, these are deep concepts and, and uh, uh, that I lecture about in, in detail. But, but for now, I want to be sure that we all um, keep the fundamental basis of the thing clear in our minds. And, and we, we don't forget it when we get off on a tangent in this direction or that direction. There's an underlying field of infinite coherence, harmony, and perfection. It's called the unified field, Chaitanya, the absolute. Veda is nature. It's the study of the nature of that absolute and also the study of how it emerges into relativity, that whole dynamic, you see? And, and uh, um, that fundamental principle is essential to our real understanding of anything because it gives a proper context for everything, okay? So we'll talk about, I mean, we could go on, I do go on and talk about this. Um, there's so much knowledge, you know. But at any rate, we'll leave it there for now. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week.